All right, here we are. I'm I'm always excited for episodes, but today this man has a very special place in my heart. Uh, he is he is my powerlifting coach, Kevin Can, and, and like part of the reason I wanted to have Kevin on. So usually I ask for a little bio from people, uh, you know, so I can introduce them the way they like to be introduced. And Kevin just said, "You better say nice things." Um, and and what I will say. Uh, in my experience, I mean, I've, I've known Kevin, I don't even know if Kevin knows this, but he actually introduced me to my first employee. Like when I, uh, owned a gym in Boston, I actually went to the personal training school that he was teaching at and somehow, some way we got connected and, uh, he introduced us to, to our first employee, but, uh, I've known him for a long time. And the, the cool thing is I've seen him as a coach, um, change in so many ways. And he's gone from, being, I, I think at the time he was like super into MMA. I don't even, I think he was training in MMA. He might've been even, even like fighting uh, competitively and like, uh, you know, going from there to being one of the best powerlifting coaches uh, in the country, if not the world, like, you know, he's, he's worked with Boris Chico and, and he's kind of taken all these different parts uh, of periodization and, and programming and uh, you know what we're learning in the pain science space and from physical therapists and from Boris and from Louis Simmons and just kind of taking it all and put it into this model called uh, precision powerlifting systems and um, I mean as one of his his athletes and I feel like I can't call myself an athlete because uh, I'm definitely not the strongest person on the team. I have John Flagg. Uh, I'm recording a podcast with him in a couple of days and uh, he benches like I don't know, 450 or so. And, uh, here I am, I'm, I'm not anywhere close to that. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm definitely on the lower, lower end of the totem pole, but, uh, you train some of the strongest people, uh, that I've ever met. And, uh, you do it in a way that I think is interesting because it, it pays respect to, um, the art and the science of coaching, right? Like when I think about precision powerlifting, I don't think of it as a way that it's it's so scientific it's not just percentage based right it's not an algorithm um there's there's an element of science but there's also an element of that human relationship between uh kevin and myself or kevin and an athlete and that's that's i think what we're really going to dive into but um kevin i know that was a long-winded intro uh but thank you so much for joining me um if you want to just kind of introduce everybody and give them a feel for for what you're up to and and how you got there yeah, so we met through James because I was uh, actually training him at the gym I was working at at that time, and I think he was doing some business uh, stuff with you. And uh, yeah, and Emily and I introduced you to Emily. Yep. I, I remember. Um, yep. You yeah, had so long basically, hair. what's that? <laughs> you had long hair and you were skinny. Now you're yes. covered. using uh, probably about sixty pounds heavier. <laughs> yeah, and balding. I. Uh, so when I was teaching at the school, so I had done my own like personal training thing and I was doing a lot of like coaching of high school athletes. Um, I don't know. I like, I liked it in some ways, but didn't in others. Like the pay wasn't great. I'd gone to grad school and I'm like, man, I need to figure out my, uh, my next step. So I got the job at the school and then I needed a part-time job because living in Boston wasn't, uh, wasn't cheap. So that's how I ended up at, uh, I ended up at TPS. And 
at the time that I walked into that gym, I had no idea what powerlifting even, I, like I knew what three lifts it was, but I, like, I didn't really like know the rules of the sport or whatever. And ironically enough, uh, I get promoted there and I go to the owner and I'm like, dude, where do you see this business going in the future? And he's like, I'd like it to be a place of all competitive strength athletes. And in my head, I remember being like, fuck, I better learn something about powerlifting. And I was just fortunate enough that, you know, a couple months later, Boris Shako came in, did his first seminar. Um, and everything that he said was just like making a lot of sense to me. So I was like, you know what? I got a meet coming up. I'm going to just, I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'll do some like online coaching stuff. Cause he wasn't even advertising it at the, at the time. Um, so because there wasn't a ton of time before my first meet, he kind of just helped me with like a little peaking block type of thing. Uh, and I started working with him afterwards. And I think what that taught me, you know, when you're 20 something and you're coming out of school and like, like for me, I had multiple degrees. I read plenty of textbooks and I could pass tests and do all of those things. But it's one thing to, to be reading it. And it's another thing to actually see it and do it. Um, so what I got to see is like the practical application of those things by one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport, if not the greatest coach in the history of the sport in terms of accolades. So, you know, for three years, I'd worked with him and asked him questions and saw how he progressed his programs and it was extremely eye-opening so I try to keep that experience in the back of my head all of the time that like yeah you can read something and you can think you understand it but it's a whole nother thing and how it practically applies to the real world and it gets even more complex when it's not on like I know myself so when he's coaching me and I'm looking at the program like I understand myself but when I'm doing it for like I'm doing your program or John Flagg, who actually just squatted 700 for the first time, and he did 455 with bands. He's going to bench 500, Stan. That's like four uh, times your body weight. That is. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts my feelings. Like, I, I, I actually, I'm going to cancel my podcast with him. He's too strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm intimidated. He can't deadlift, though. You can probably all pull him. Ooh, that's, that's yeah, my, my go-to. That's the only way that I can boost my self-esteem. Uh, I mean, I think so. Like, it's interesting when you say that too, because like, I was talking to uh, like Sarah Ford um, has a podcast that that went out today, and uh, one of the interesting things, like when I was talking to her, so she's a, a nutrition coach with um, Lane Norton, and like worked in a lab, and it was really interesting because we were talking about, you know, what does it actually mean to be an evidence based uh, fitness professional, or specifically a nutrition coach for her, and one of the things that, that she was saying is like, it's, it's the art and the science of understanding. There is the research, there is, um, you know, all of this stuff on diet breaks and refeeds and, you know, whatever you want it to be, but it's also understanding when to apply it. Right. And I think that's where it's interesting to, to work with you is, is cause I, I see like when, when I do your programs, it's, you know, there's clear max effort work, there's clear speed work, there's percentage breakdown sets, Right. Um, there's like a little bit of accessory stuff. And the, the interesting thing is like, there's a clear science to it. Um, but also we communicate all the time and on a regular basis, like there were, there was one week I remember where I like took a warm up set of like a four Oh five squat. I had been squatting. I think was, I just hit like four forty, Um, and I was like, I thought I was going to hit like close to four fifty that day. Like I was feeling, feeling pretty good. I literally took the warm up set to the pins and just went, nope, 
like I can't push it up. It's not going to happen. Right. And I was, I was crushed. Like it had been a stressful week. Like I was busy. And, uh, and I remember you were like, okay, cool. Like next week we're going to do this. And then like the following weeks I felt better. I got stronger. Um, and so like, I think it's, it's interesting to see you apply that, that like science. Cause you have like, like, I mean, your accolades, just, just your like education background and the people you've worked with, you're, you're obviously extremely knowledgeable on, uh, the human body and the science of strength and, uh, performance. But the way that you apply it is so interesting to me. And, uh, what I'm interested in is like, how did you get to that point? Like, how did you, how did you go from being Borishiko, super technical percentages, like very, very like planned out, like periodized as far as programming goes, um, to a, a more, I don't want to say like relaxed, but a slightly more, you know, you're not, you're not thinking I'm going to think 12 weeks ahead. Um, I'm going to have a plan for, you know, the, this kind of block and like this wave, but I'm also not going to be so tied to that plan that I let that hurt performance. So like any science is just observation and theory, right? So I don't know. There, there got to be a point where I didn't really like, especially in the beginning, I think when you're inexperienced following an extreme, like a structure, like I was doing with the percentages and paying attention to volumes and the intensities, it's, it's those general principles just laid out for you. It allows you to kind of learn and see what's working and what doesn't and when you run into stuff. And I think keeping it more stable like that is important to like learn in the beginning and stuff. But all science is just observation and theory, whether it's in a journal or whether it's in real life. And like real life experience is science. So if you're constantly observing and theorizing why things work and trying to answer questions and stuff, you'll kind of figure out um, where, where you want to take it. I think I had a, I don't know, I had this light bulb go off one day, like I'm trying to answer some questions. And I want to say it was about variability in training and like, I'm looking like in strength and conditioning research and I'm like, this is all fucking crap. Like, I don't care what some guy who squats 200 pounds is doing in the fucking gym with EMG things strapped to him. <laughs> I have a hundred pound girls that are out squatting these people by a hundred pounds. So like, it just became one of those where it's like, I don't know where to go for answers. So I decided to kind of turn towards more like the older lifter, the ones who've kind of been around a long time. So that's why like I worked with Jeremy Hartman for a period of time and he's somebody who grew up with the sport had been around, you know, the Vincenellos and he had trained at West side, you know, a dozen times in his, in his life. And so, you know, Brad Gillingham, he, he talked to a lot. So he's had like a lot of good advice from some of these older lifters. And then you just try to kind of like piece together, like what they were doing and stuff. And then, I don't know. I, I think, I ended up like reading this study by Ioannidis just showing that like most science just doesn't practically apply to the real world. And it was just like, dude, that is literally what I think every time I read half of this shit. And it's not that like science isn't important. It is, but you got to understand the blind spots within it and you got to fill in those blind spots kind of with your, with your experience. So I have this like saying that I, you know, in the back of my mind, like if you're planning, you're predicting, if you're predicting, you're guessing. And I, I don't want to be the one guessing where I'm, you know, we're just terrible at predicting and guessing things. So I put more emphasis into my like observations and my experience. So it's become a little bit more intuitive as I've gained more experience and it just, it just works better. I think 
people got to remember general principles do apply. They're extremely important, but they're general. They're generalities. And you got to figure out a way that they bend and mold to the individual that's sitting in front of you. Like you're a different person than John Flagg who's a different person than somebody else who's a different person than somebody else. And all their life things are, are different. So you just, all of those things apply. That's why everybody's programs kind of look the same, but it's how we adjust. Um, I will say I did get too far on the other ends with the observations and stuff because I allowed the day-to-day -to, -day to dictate my decisions. And this was an extremely important situation for me to learn. Because um, if you look at anything like the stock market or training in general, your day-to-day -day, like one RMs um, or the day-to-day -day stock market values, they, they're the things that fluctuate. The long-term trends tend to be a lot more stable. So I get too into the, well, maybe this works for this person. So we'll just adjust on the day. Like, so it became too reactive and not proactive enough. So I got too far away from the general principles at one time. And like trying to find that balance with everybody, I think is a, uh, that's where the art comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like, I mean, it, like the cool thing is for me, I, I got to experience it for, I think I've been working with you for, I don't even know, probably since, what was it, November? So like six months almost. And uh, I think the, the thing for me is like when, when I first started, I remember uh, I sent you, <laughs> I sent you my videos, right? It was like my squat, my bench, my deadlift, right? Um, and it was, you were like, just hit like a, you know, 80%. Like I'd already worked out that day and I was like, all right, you know, I'm just going to, I'll send you these videos. Like I don't like a slightly lower than, than a, a one rep max. Uh, and like the interesting thing was I remember you came back and, and you were like squat lower and like do this with your deadlift, do this with your bench. And I remember I was like, oh, well, like, do you think it's because of this or do you think it's because of that? Because of that? Or like I was overanalyzing everything and you're like, just, just literally just squat lower. But then what you did was you you also put me into places where I couldn't not squat lower. It was like pin squats, box squats. So I couldn't like continue up with my bad habits. But it was interesting because like I, I actually talked to Mike Amato about this. His his podcast will come out next week. But like we were, I was talking about it, and he was you know talking about how like there's some interesting stuff on powerlifting and and using that with like you know 60 year old women with osteoporosis and stuff like that. But uh, I was like, the interesting thing to me was I used to warm up a bunch and I used to be like one of those people that would like overanalyze and be like very, you know, um, like you said, like predicting and planning and all of this stuff with my, with my training. But then, uh, what I ended up doing was like with you, I, I stopped warming up. I basically just grab a bar and just do some squats or do some deadlifts, whatever. And then, uh, the interesting thing to me was like seeing how, when I started to just put myself into the positions that I needed to be in and like used everything like the every every rep every set uh was done with intent but also done almost as a learning experience um and I think it was something that, like you you kind of taught me it was like as as I was going and as I was like making more and more excuses for why things weren't happening um you would you would essentially be like dude like just do it like don't don't think about it just squat lower like keep your hips down like drive your knees out just do that like this it's one thing just do that one thing really well and also you put me into places where I, I couldn't not do that right 
how did you get to that point? Because when I first met you, I remember you were writing for like Rob Wolf and uh, you were in this place where you were very, very like analytical and very like, it was, it was like very scientific with stuff. Like when you, when you started talking to clients and you kind of started to realize like, if I just give them like one very simple thing to do, but then I structure the programming in a way that doesn't allow them to not do that. Like how, how did you get to the point where like, you're like, I'm just going to tell them to do one thing and then almost force them to do it. Like how, how did you figure that out? Cause I thought that was amazing. So that was actually, that's a Shaco thing. So he was huge on the technique first. So like over 60% of my uh, volume was special, what he called special exercises within the lift. So he, he took a lot of like weightlifting ideas and put them into the, the powerlifting lifts, like pausing on the halfway down or halfway up of a squat. Like you just didn't see people doing. So if you're pausing, you're, it's a glorified tempo squat. And like, everybody's like, you shouldn't be doing tempo on the concentric and stuff, but Chico would, would have me do concentric tempo stuff with pauses and everything. Um, and like what he had taught me was you break the lift down into each component that requires its own motor response. Mm. So when you look at the squat, there's multiple pieces of the squat that require their own motor response. You just pick the one that you think is kind of driving the inefficiency that you're seeing within the lift. And it just makes it easy. There's only one thing you can fix at that, that point. So, if, you know, it's almost like taking the lift and you're just, you're cutting it into all of its various pieces and just focusing on that, like that one specific spot. So like for me, the most important thing is always going to be the rules first. So if you're not squatting to depth, I mean, you can get creative and still get other, other aspects of it going on there. Like pins will get you to drive your chest up first. Um, box squats can really help. Like, you know, one of the cues that I'll use is like when you're sitting on the box, still, you know, drive your knees out hard to come off that box. So you can still work on other things. But the first thing I wanted you to do is just consistently hit depth in those two things. Let that happen. Um, mm -hmm. But I think when you break it into its smaller pieces, there's really only, there's not a lot to say. I think like for, yeah. And, and for me, it was, it was very interesting. Like just seeing, like, like you said, like taking from what, what you had learned from Shika, like, and essentially applying that into like my own training. Cause I, I understood it when you would talk about it, but seeing it applied, I was like, Oh, this is actually like, it actually clicks a little bit, you know? And, um, like one thing I'm interested in too, is I know, I mean, you're, you're a fan of John Kiley and the periodization side of, uh, what he's talked about, like the confronting an inconvenient truth, um, with periodization. And, and I think within strength sports, it's very extreme, but I, I think like every coach gets so deep into the periodization and stuff like that. And they almost remove like the human element of that. And so like, how, how did that, like, did that have any effect when you did start to move away from like that very data driven approach? Like, did you kind of read those articles and start to say like, Oh wait, if I worry less about, cause you know, to me, to me, like that article by, by Kylie was a lot of like, everything's going to work regardless of, you know, like it, it's 99% of the time, if it's a, a kind of a proven out structure and, you know, uh, we know like the basic principles of strength training, as long as it fits those basic principles, um, like it'll work. But the most important thing is like getting the, the buy-in from the, the athlete and like that relationship between the coach and the client. Um, so that like more or less they actually do it and they believe in the program. Um, like how, how much did that article kind of affect the way that you think about stuff? And, and, and 
if so, like what, what changed? So, and this even goes further back. So again, like when I was working with Shaco, so I was with him for three years, my number of lifts per year never changed. Right. So like, I think as a strength coach, especially when you're younger, you always want like week to week, you try to put some increase, like some seven day period, your body magically is adapted and ready and ready for more. Um, but like one of the most interesting things about my program with him is like my number of lifts never changed. My volume would change only as I got stronger. Um, so when I'm like writing programs for my lifters, like you get stuck in this, and this is like when I first started, you get stuck in this, okay, well, this is week two of a block, so I have to increase more. Week three, I should increase more. And maybe this block should be focused on higher reps for hypertrophy, and this one should be strength, and the next one should be power, and like, because this is what's drilled in you in school. Now, periodization, I think, makes sense if you're a, if you're a field athlete, because you have the weight room plus your sport. Um, and oftentimes when you're playing your sport, you're on multiple teams and stuff. If you're any good at, in high school and college, you're on multiple teams. When the strength sport, when the gym stuff becomes your sport, I just, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like any time that I played, you know, I played soccer through college. So there was at no point in my life did my soccer coach go, you know what guys, we're going to do higher volume running in this block. And then four weeks later, we're going to, focus on this. It was always, you know, once you're in shape to participate in the sport, it's always assessing strengths and weaknesses, attacking weaknesses, redefining strengths, and continually adapting to what's happening. So you might have a game on a Monday that something happens and you're drilling that so that as a team, you know, not to do make those same mistakes again. And then You'll go, maybe that gets better, maybe it doesn't, and maybe you keep drilling it, but maybe some other weakness. And then that becomes a focus of, of training. And that's how any sport I've ever played at a high level has always been. So if we're powerlifting and we're viewing it as a sport at a high level, like to me, it just doesn't make sense to, to break it up into blocks. Your max effort work is training the sport. At some point, you have to train the sport. And then the other stuff is just like, it's the drilling to get better at that sport. So whether it's, all right, well, we got a technique issue here we got you know some confidence that's lacking here so like I had all of these thoughts in my mind and then all of a sudden I read that Kylie article and it literally was like yeah okay this this 100% makes sense and I think you know what people forget about Kylie is he has experience with extremely high level athletes right so like you might be able to take a beginner power lifter and give them blocks and it works or work for somebody else. And like, and, and that's fine. But at some point, like, I don't know, it just, everything that he said in that article just like really resonated with me. And it almost just gave me like confirmation that what I was witnessing and what I was thinking about and my experiences that I need to apply that more into my coaching. So instead of me being so tied to dogma, even though I was struggling to kind of buy into that dogma at the time, and that's kind of probably what shifted my, to be a little bit more intuitive, to be more flexible and adaptable, to be more experimental. And just because people say you shouldn't do things, like I've done some dumb things, man, as like, <laughs> like people were, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, like when I was making everybody just like every day coming to the gym, two top sets around a nine, nine and a half, like if you didn't feel good, you would just kind of take it easy. Like there were rules in place, but like 
I wanted to see how it played out. And like, everybody's like, this is the dumbest idea ever. And it's like, well, now that I've seen it play out, I have a much better handle on how fatigue and intensity and volume and all of those things actually hinder training. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, every experience that I've fucked up, I've kind of learned a lot from along the way. And I wouldn't have had those learning experiences if I hadn't read Kylie's paper. Yep. I'm, I'm with you on that. That And, and the interesting thing is like, I, I don't train power, power lifters. Like I have one kid that's a power lifter and everybody else is gen pop. And uh, I would even say, and, and tell me if you agree with me on this, but like, I think that that paper, like I'll link it in the show notes. Cause it is to me, like probably one of the, the most important things to read as a, as a coach. But even with gen pop, like you realize, like, I don't really need to take, you know, care in the, you know, like 42 year old mom that's lifted weights twice, uh, but hasn't for six years. Uh, she doesn't need to do a hypertrophy phase and then like, you know, a strength phase and then a power phase and then an endurance phase. Like she kind of just needs to train. Like she doesn't need to have this like super structure. Like she's not going to be getting on a field and like tackling somebody in a game of rugby most likely at least unless unless we we really get her in good shape but like you know that that was the interesting thing was it seems like there's like a level of like people overthink training in a lot of ways and then like underthink training in a lot of ways if that makes sense where it's like they overthink this stuff that like maybe doesn't matter as much like you said like they're planning so much that they're making assumptions that they're predicting things and they're kind of just guessing Whereas instead, like doing a little bit more of that real time. So like when I, that, that article made me literally start to go, okay, I'm going to build out like a general theme for a couple of weeks, talk to the person and then adjust, like maybe they'll go up and wait, maybe we'll progress and exercise. And like, that's basically their program forever. It's like, oh, like, cool. Like this is getting easier. Like, let's go up and wait a little bit or, you know, let's have you go from doing a split squat to a reverse lunge or a deficit split squat or a rear elevated split squat. Like, you know, all these little like micro adjustments. And, um, I mean, I think like the same, the same principle applies for anybody that's not like a, a hardcore field athlete. Like if you essentially just go in and say, I'm going to structure programming in a way that, uh, is advantageous to what you need at the time. And, um, and, do it in a way that still fits within like some general principles. It, it's going to work a lot better because also you'll be able to get better buy-in too, right? Like, do you do you agree with that? That it's it's also good for Gen Pop. Oh yeah, no, I think I think when a coach gets so into writing a program, like you see my programs, they're not fancy Excel spreadsheets. It's just a couple words in a freaking cell, and it, it like I think when you start getting into overthinking the program that becomes a very coach centered process. Um, it's more focused on the coach and like, Hey, look at what I've learned about periodization or blocks or look at how well I can write a program. Look at all this data I'm collecting. And every human being only has so much mental energy they can put into a task. So this is why like, I'm not a big fan of foam rolling and doing extra stuff before you come in. I want hundred percent of that mental energy going towards lifting the weights. So if you're in the beginning, you're rolling on a foam roller, you're like, yeah, I got to loosen up my hips. Like you're focused on being tight, not being ready. But if you come in and you're grabbing that bar right away, you're focused on the technique and getting warmed up and the jumps you're going to make. And in each set, like you probably have, I don't know, what's the average human life's uh, attention span? 45 minutes. You probably have 45 minutes of good quality um, mental energy. So like that's something like as a coach, I even try to think of, 
like for me, where do I want to put the majority of my mental energy? So if all science is observation and theory, just put something on paper, observe and make and make adjustments. If you're putting all your mental energy on writing the perfect program, you're going to have in your back in the back of your head that that is the perfect program and you're not going to adjust accordingly because bias exists in all of us, whether we think we're aware of it or not. And you're not going to get away away from it. You need to understand the limitations to your own thinking. There are blind spots in your own thinking. And if you spend, so if I sat there and I spent an hour on each person's program for a month, how much do you think I'd really be willing to have leeway in adjusting things from that point forward? It's just not going to happen because in your head, you've built, whether it's subconscious or conscious, you've built the perfect program. You're not going to be as likely to deviate. But if you're like, okay, I understand the general principles. I understand what the sport entails. I'm going to just throw something down on paper and I'll just adjust and coach as I see fit. And I think when you do that as a coach, your mental energy goes more into coaching. And if you're Mm -hmm. putting more of your mental energy into the programming, you're a programmer, you're not a coach. I think that's, and and the interesting thing too, is like, it almost seems like it's, it's kind of ironic because, because usually when people are like, oh, you know, I like they build the quote unquote perfect program and they get super into that stuff in, in their minds, they think that it's like extra super duper like scientific uh, when really like science would be, like you said, it's, it's like theory and observation where you're like, I think this is a good program. I'm going to observe how it, you know, the, the client reacts to it and adapts to it. And then I'm going to adjust. Like I'm, I'm going to constantly take essentially this program as like a hypothesis and I'm just going to test it and see if it works and then make adjustments based on the, on the feedback that I'm getting. Right. And so like it, it has to be, you have to almost remove your ego and, and better understand, you know, this is what I think is going to be good but really the person is going to let me know by how they perform and, and how they, how they react to it. Like if they turn out to be like super smashed after a workout that you thought was perfect, like maybe you need to adjust things a little bit so that they can better recover and, and not be, um, you know, not have that hinder the other, the other training sessions, you know? And, uh, one, one thing that was interesting for me, and, and I think it, it shows that you do that where you focus a lot more on the actual, uh, coaching side of things was like before working with you, uh, my lifting would be like very, very like psychologically intense. Like I would get so jacked up and like, you know, it was, it was one of those things where like that was almost taxing for me and I couldn't think straight. Like I was so like intense with my lifting that I wasn't able to approach the bar and like even with a, a, a heavier weight than I've ever touched, like think about those things, think about what I needed to do, like have that like confidence in knowing that if I do the right stuff, I'll, I'll get it. Right. And, uh, and so I think you do that through programming through having regular max effort stuff, but, uh, but also like you helped me a lot with calming down and like visualizing and, and taking time and like, being calm when you walk up to the bar, regardless of how heavy it is. Um, and just, just knowing that it's, it's just time to perform and only focus on that one thing. Like, uh, how, how do you, how do you do that? Cause I, I don't even know how you did that to me. You kind of just did it. It was interesting. Oh man. Um, <laughs> Look well, it's, it's hard sometimes. Right. And like, I think, 
in a lot of cases, like when people need to get super psyched out, they're trying to like hide their fear of the heavier weights of missing. And it's a weird thing. Cause like, not that, you know, it's not scary putting big weight on your back, but like nothing bad happens. The bar just ends up in the pins and like you get a shitty video for Instagram. So it's just teaching people that there's like, I think in a lot of cases, you just got to keep putting them in the boiling water and you just, and this is what a lot of programs miss is like, if, if you're constantly facing that challenge, right, it gets exhausting and you just can't do it anymore. And then you're actually going to be open to listening to coaching advice on how to approach the mental aspects of the sport. And everybody's a little bit different. Like, you know, there are some people who heavy music and ammonia all the time, and I'll take that stuff away from them at times. And they got to learn how to be a little bit more calm and approach the weights a little bit more professionally. But there's a time where like, let your inner psycho come out. And, you, and it just kind of allows people to kind of figure out what works best for them. So if you put them in the position, so like, for somebody like you, if I remember right, it's just it's having enough weight on the bar that gets you psychologically amped up a little bit, but not so much that it freaks you, it freaks you out and we're just kind of sliding backwards. And then it just becomes this like sliding scale. So like, with any of our max effort work, I can adjust the absolute loads just kind of based on the positions or the accommodating resistance or whatever, and I can make it less intimidating and I can make it more intimidating. So if you give somebody, you kind of figure out where their psychological baseline is and you just poke it a little bit and then you just stretch that baseline. It kind of works like how you train the mind works the same way as how you train the body. You just, you got to put them in those positions, but it can't be. So like how you were saying, if you go into the gym and you do a, a training session that makes you really sore, like that was too much of a stimulus. You got to do the same thing with the mental aspect of deciding these loads. You got to all right, well, this person gets very intimidated by the bigger absolute weight. So I got to find a way to get those weights, get close to there, but not so far that it's going to psychologically stress them out so much that they can't recover. They're going to be blowing up my phone with text messages. They're going to be hanging their heads. And then it becomes like this cyclical process of them just feeling bad. Like that's, that's why I think in a lot of cases, when you look at these higher intensity training programs in the literature, you have a lot of people quitting is mm -hmm. just, it, it's a lot more than what they're used to. So like, you got to find a way to just kind of gradually increase that baseline. And then it gets to a point where people just don't give a shit. Like I have this one kid who, when he started with me, I think he was barely squatting like 400 pounds. And this was a while ago now. And like he squats in the mid 500s now. And he literally will jump from 405 to 495. Like he'll just put another plate on there just because like, and this kid was scared of weights before, but now he's making a hundred pound jumps when it's at like 80% of his one mm -hmm. RM and it's not bothering him. Um, yep. you know, and I think just from gradually doing it over time, you just develop that, that attitude. Yeah. And, and I think, so I, I was like the opposite too. So I was, I remember my first week with you, you gave me speed work on deadlifts with like three, three fifty or something like that. And then I did four Oh five or like four fifty five, And you're like, dude, like I gave you that number for a very specific reason. Don't go off the program. And that was, that was very good for me because like I had never had somebody be like, Hey idiot, like, like don't like there, there is a plan. Like there, I'm not having you like just giving you a random suggestion for a number. Like I know why I'm giving you this, move it fast. Don't, don't just move heavy stuff all the time. And like, that was, that was interesting for me where it, I think in some ways it, it built a lot of uh, like trust in you 
and also like respect where I was like, okay, he's doing whatever is in my best interest. And I'm going to, you know, to make sure that I listen and like really, really pay attention to what he's saying, because uh, especially once I started to do it and it worked, I started to say, okay, I need to really trust this person and, and not act like I know more than them or like I should do whatever I want, which I was used to doing, you know? And, uh, and I thought that was, that was very interesting to have that kind of relationship between the two of us where uh, you would tell me what I was doing wrong. You would, you know, every once in a while, give me a compliment. Um, but also, but also just like that, that very quickly built a lot of trust where I was like, okay, you know, I, I can't just fuck around. Like I have to actually do the program because there is, there is like a thought process behind this, you know? Um, and, and that was, that was very helpful for me, uh, to, to have that. And, and I think like, you know, that's where you, you marry that, like the science of coaching, but also the art where you've built a, a relationship with all of us in that you are able to give us the feedback that we need and, and understand where we are psych, like psychologically, where some people are going to push harder. Some people aren't going to push as hard. So you have to push certain people and then almost pull back people like me that are just like, I, I was the person where like, I would have never squatted more than 450 and would have tried to put the extra 45 on and squat 495. You know, <laughs> like that's how my brain works. It's like, oh, that felt good. Like, let's see what happens. And uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's been good to have that person that kind of pulls me back, but also lets me lose sometimes, you know? Um, how do you, how do you find that within the person? Like, do you kind of watch the first couple of weeks that you're working with somebody and go, okay, this person is going to be really likely to push too hard and I'm, I'm going to have to pull them back sometimes. Or is it something where like, does it change? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, do, do, do people over time end up changing being more ambitious or less, less ambitious? Like where, where do you see that happening? The ones who are more ambitious, it's easier to slow somebody down than it is to speed them up. Um, like some people, and you know, at the end of the day, like this is what, you know, it's, it's tough for people to hear, but some people have it and some people don't. Like the ones I have to slow down, typically the ones that tend to do better over time. Um, the ones I have to speed up, it's like a constant process, but they do get better at it over time. Um, so in terms of like assessing it, so when I was talking about like how Shaco broke up each lift into its parts that require a motor response, I actually start that process one step before. So my step one is how somebody's reacting before they're getting set up. Um, or if we're in person in between lifts and like, there's a lot you can take from their body language, how they approach the bar, especially if you see their lighter work. If you start seeing things changing as the weights get heavier and how they're approaching the bar, um, that's a good sign that like mentally something's going on there. Um, Dave Tate had said all weaknesses are mental, technical, or physical. So he's not wrong. And being able to like just assess those, those mental weaknesses that people have, especially in powerlifting, because a lot of people come into this sport without much of an athletic background. So it's intimidating. The fear takes over and like that fear and panic is what's driving the technique. It's not weak anything. It's not poor technique. It's literally, they're just freaking out. Um, so in a lot of cases, it's just been like years of just watching people freak out. And, and the thing is, is everybody kind of does the same thing. There's like, there's like different types of people. 
there's people who convince themselves that the weight's heavy and they'll, they'll just kind of, and you'll see they'll go down and there's like no effort to even stand up with it. And then there's, there's ones like you, we actually have a lot of people like you on the team that like, you know, I'll be in the gym. Somebody will literally pop blood vessels in their freaking eyes. And I'll look over and there's 30 more pounds on the fucking bar. And mm -hmm. it's like, what are you doing? Like, that's a terrible idea. And it's like finding a balance between those, um, those two things. So like for somebody who needs to get super amped up, if you take away them getting amped up, they tend to not really push it as much sometimes. So if I take away the ammonia, the heavy music, um, like there's little things you can do in there, but a lot of it just comes with having conversations. Like when I'm coaching, I'm teaching you guys my thought process. So in the beginning, I don't trust you to make decisions because you don't, you don't know my thought process. It, you know, but over the course of time, like as we've been training together longer and longer, you understand my thought process more. You, you, without even being asked or without even realizing, you'll, you'll end up having more of an input because you'd be like, hey, I was feeling this on this lift. This is feeling really good. Like even, uh, so like John Flagg was like, my squats are feeling really good. I think 700's there. I want to take it. Go for it. Even though that was like way more than he had taken in the past. But like, I knew he was confident. I know he understands my thought process. We talk a lot. And like the same thing for his bench. He had a big bench with bands and he's like, can I take something big without the bands? I think a, a huge PR is there. Um, Cause he took almost hundred percent of his best bench into, you know, probably 120 of band tension at the top. Oh my God. So something big's there and it's like, yeah, okay. That's let's, let's talk about when we're going to do this. Um, you know, and like, and that'll happen with a lot of people who've been with me a little bit longer. They just have more of this understanding of the thought process and like, they're they're more intuitive into their own training without even realizing it mm -hmm. so i think over time like you know as long as you just you know and i'll say the same things over and over so like one of the one of the kids who have to speed up a lot he's been with me since the beginning i'm like mike i'm like that's not max effort take another jump so like when he thinks he's done i'll make him put five or ten more pounds on and he kind of stress that intensity and he's like okay okay and like over time, like that baseline does get raised, but you just have to constantly be like, if I'm going to drill that mental aspect of them, I need to drill that mental aspect and we have to keep working on it if that's the number one weakness. Like how you were saying before with depth, how you got a lot of pin squats and box squats. It wasn't just one week of them. And then we moved on. The same thing has to be addressed mentally. It's, it's not just one time you do it or you read some fucking self-help book and then all of a sudden you're a mental warrior. It's, it's something you've got to train in the gym continuously over time and you have to be aware of it and you have to challenge yourself. And it's one of the harder things to change because when you think you hit a 10 and you're scared of shit to put more weight on that bar and you go and do it, like one, when you hit it, it's that's when you get those like highs of the sport because you're like, well, fuck yeah. But it's hard. And for a lot of people, it's like, no, nah, you know what? I'm just going to go back to doing my high volume RPE six stuff because I'm more comfortable doing that. But you're never going to get better unless you challenge your comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like that was, that was where things got interesting for me to like, uh, like in, in working with you and starting to apply that mental training of like even warm up sets, closing my eyes, my entire rest is like, if, speaking of body language, literally my, my entire rest, I'm sitting down with headphones in, usually listening to like Rage Against, Rage Against, Rage Against Machine, like kind of loud, like very aggressive rock, right? But I'm sitting there and I'm completely calm out on the outside. 
and I'm just every single piece of the lift. Like I know what the knurling is going to feel like in my hands. Like I know what my shoulders are going to do, my, my legs, my hips, like all of this stuff, like how the weight's going to feel. Like I know that it's going to feel heavy, but like, you know, I, I imagine like every piece of it. And like, as I go up, as I go down, like I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to be strong. And like, uh, the interesting thing for me was like starting to apply that, um, was something that I think helped me control that, like needing to jump a bunch and, and instead be like, I'm going to like go in and like know that I can do it. And that was when I pulled 565 with, with 40 pounds of chain, like my best competition deadlift was 560. And at the top, that was probably like 607. Uh, and I remember like after that lift going like, Oh, maybe I haven't been challenging myself. Like I think sometimes you don't know what a 10 is until you hit a 10. And like that 565 with chains was probably like a nine. Like I actually, afterwards I was like, I, I feel like there was more there. Like, um, and sometimes I think that like the mental training is, is almost just showing people like what a real nine or a real 10 is because an eight sometimes feels like a nine. If you don't know what a nine, a nine feels like, you know, um, it, 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 like you said, it challenges that like kind of base of, of what is, what is hard, um, and actually redefines it, which is, which is cool. Um, and then talk to me, talk to me about what you're up to. So you have like strength school, we have, um, you have the book, um, you have a bunch of different things that are kind of going on. And I know, you know, COVID has been crazy for powerlifters and you're, you're doing a lot to essentially take the experiences that I've had out, I will say in that, like, I've started to learn your thought process and understand why we do certain things, um, and give them, give them to the world. So talk to me a little bit about that. So the fact that like a lot of people can't train, right? So training skill, I think is an extremely important skill. And, you know, so when I was sitting here with all my free time now, I was like, man, how can we get better if we can't lift weights? Right. So of course we got some like body weight stuff that we're doing. Um, Cause I do think a lot of power lifters missed out on like some of those athletic endeavors and, you know, it's not going to necessarily increase your one rep max, but maybe later on it just gives you a bigger base or something. I think there might be some efficacy to that. But I think the other thing that, you know, nobody actually like coaches and lifters, it just seems like a lot of people just don't, they skipped the whole learning the basics thing and they just kind of latch onto their favorite people and read their blogs or listen to their podcasts. And then they regurgitate their words. And one of the things that I was thinking, I was like, man, in my basement, I still have a bunch of textbooks from grad school. I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, take, I'm going to do this with PPS because without it, I'm probably not going to do all of this work. So I'm kind of forcing myself to have a schedule. But I'm going to go through the books. I'm going to make slides and I'm going to just make like a little strength school. Like here are the basics of strength training. Like you need to understand these things first before you start. Like I love Mike to share his stuff. I think. I think his stuff is a thought process. I think Louis Simmons' stuff is a thought process. Shaco had a thought process with his stuff. But if you go and you try to listen to like Mike's emerging strategies and then just try to apply it, like that's, I mean, that guy's been lifting since he was a kid and that's all of his experiences and all of like, that's his thought process from all of that. Like you're never going to be him trying to put that together if you don't understand the basics. And like, understand that, like he started with the basics to get to where he is. 
Louis Simmons started with the basics to get to where he is. In Russia, they force all coaches to start with the little kids and learn the basics before they get where they are. So in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm going to teach PPS the basics and then open it up for other coaches and stuff because not a lot of people have a background in strength and conditioning getting into powerlifting. It's, you'll have somebody who, you know, they lift for the first time and they lift a ton of weight and they're just kind of naturally good at it. And then all of a sudden, those are the ones coaching 100 people. And it's like, you don't know anything. All you know is that you're good at a sport. You don't understand the technique. You don't understand the general principles. You may have had a coach or something that worked for you and you just kind of latch onto that and you just kind of spit out the same shit all the time. Um, so I kind of want everybody to get back to like, here are the basics. So like, dude, I'm going through like super training and just making freaking slides off of each chapter. Kind of like what I did like at this PT school when I was teaching, like yeah. you just take the book, you make some slides and I'm going to teach accordingly. You know, I'm not going to teach the whole book, but like, Stuff like that. I think it's really important. When I interned at Harvard, they made me read like sciences and practices of strength training. I had to read that in grad school, do the same thing for that, for that book. And I think the more that we understand the basics, the more that like all of this makes sense, because like I said, just put something down on paper. Like if you understand the sport of powerlifting and what it, what it actually entails, right? Most people are just like volumes and intensities and all the data that I can get, but it's like, take a step way back from that. What is the sport? What do you need to be good at the sport? And then just make a plan accordingly that goes by those general principles, but it's flexible and adaptable to be based around that individual in front of you. Like it's not rocket science. It's so simple, but like for some reason, nobody ever wants to go back to the basics. Every coach, how do I get to be where, where you are? Here are the books you should read first. <laughs> you know how many of them read those books? Zero. So I'm yeah. like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll read the book for you. You can pay me a few hundred bucks and I'll teach you the basics. I think, and, and I think like that's, that's what it do it. Like it's, it's the same thing when like I've, I've coached in the, the, you know, they'll ask me questions about like psychology and, and nutrition and like behavior change and stuff that I've, I mean, I've spent enough hours that like my brain like for a long time, it was uncomfortable. Like when I first started the podcast, like I, I was actually awful. Like I was hard to have a conversation with because I would just start spitting out like data from studies and like all of these like interesting things or things that I thought were interesting. And like I, people would like make fun of me. They'd be like, dude, I can't have a conversation with you without you being like, oh, like this thing about motivational interviewing. And like, uh, and, and I think that's the hard part is like people ask questions about, you know, for me, it's like, how do you, how do I change behavior? And it's like, Oh, that is such a loaded question. Like you, there's so many pieces, like I'll start talking about a million different things. And I think you, you have to, at some point, like read the, read this stuff. And I think what you're doing is, is right. Because like textbooks are kind of boring to read, but having somebody that you respect and trust deliver like the things that they feel are important from those textbooks is really helpful. And, you know, on, on top of that, like, uh, as, as someone where, you know, I've, I've been a coach for 10 years, it can be really helpful to be reminded of, of what the basics are. And the basics are the basics for a reason. And, uh, I see a lot of people right now and they're, they're having gen pop clients do like pap, like they're doing the post-activation potentiation stuff. And like, yeah, maybe there's some studies that support it, but you know, once again, if we think about the vast majority of people, like is PAP going to help that much more than them just getting really good at 
doing squatting and push-ups and deadlifts and lunges? Probably not. Like it's probably going to do very little. Um, if not, put them into a position where they're more likely to get injured because you're having them do, you know, pretty pretty complex uh, movements without a, a base, right? And uh, and I think what you're doing with strength school and and even with the book is essentially giving people that platform and, and almost like a filter to say, wait, like everything outside of this is just like it's it's like icing on the cake, like. Yeah, maybe PAP has been shown to work, but uh, if I'm not already following these principles and, and doing them regularly, I don't need to worry about all of these other crazy things. You know, like that, that I think is, is the best part is that it, it like almost, because we'll, we'll learn it at first, but then it's not sexy sometimes, right? And so it's easy to get distracted by the other stuff. Um, and so I think that's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, how, how can people sign up for it? Um, so I'm kind of in the process of figuring out, I think I'm going to use like Patreon, um, mm -hmm. for it, but I'm looking at like certain platforms to kind of embed it on. Cool. Um, cool. and I, I want to take PPS through the process first so that like I can work up the kinks and kind of, uh, mm -hmm. do all of those things forcing me to do the work. So depending on how long everything takes, um, but yeah, it'll be a link. Um, and like we had talked about making it like a part of the book because the book is just my thought process. And I wrote, I wrote it in a, like a stream of consciousness, consciousness kind of way where it's like, this is how I would say these things. This is how we do things. Like I didn't want to put a lot of science behind it. I, I put some references that then reference other things so people can go look it up for themselves. Um, but I wanted it to be more of like, just like me talking type of thing. So I think the book combined with like the basic strength principles, because like what you were saying, the, the strength principles, they center you so that you're not constantly orbiting around them, just picking up the next fad. It's you have this core, this core group of principles that you're constantly following. And when these things pop up, like something like Pat, you're like, would this fit in with what I'm trying to do? Yes or no. And if so, where and how much time do I want to spend on it? Like it, it just, it helps you stay centered because I think, when you read my book, I, I think how we do things is, is it's pretty simple, but at the same time, like, I, I think it leaves the door open to just, you know, swing for the fences all the time and just, you, you still need to come back to those principles and you still need to stay centered within your thought process so that it's not getting too, too far away. Cause then it's just not going to work. And I think that's what you see when like people not steal other programs, but when they try to like use other people's programs for themselves and their lifters and stuff, it just, it doesn't work the same way because it's not the same situation. So I think the combination of the two is just kind of like how I learned, right? Like I learned the basic principles. I had Shaco as a coach and I watched and tried to understand how he practically applies them. And I've taken pieces from everybody that I've ever worked with and that I've talked to, like I've, I've got to talk to some great lifters and you know, once we've been in the sport for a long time and great coaches and I've taken like bits and pieces of things that they've said and kind of just like molded it into my own thing over time. And that's the other component too. People need to realize that like, this doesn't happen overnight. Like you need to just understand, you need to gain experience. So, you know, start somewhere, observe, learn, keep asking people questions, keep trying things. Um, so that's something that I really want to like, but that all starts from the basics. So I, I want people to be able to do that, but they need to understand the basics. I love it. 
Um, and then, so I know we're, we're coming up on our time, but like, so how can, how can people get in touch with you? Um, I would say, you know, since we're like the, the strength school is like in the process of kind of getting set up and, and started and stuff, it'd be really important that, um, they can follow along, uh, you know, probably through social media and then also through like emails and stuff like that. Um, how can, how can people get in touch with you? So Instagram, my personal page, but I post a lot of, uh, it's mostly lifting stuff. Uh, it's KW Can. Um, our team, it's Precision Power Lifting Systems. Uh, my email is canperformance at gmail. I don't mind if people reach out and stuff. Um, that's about all the social media that I use because I'm not willing to do more than that. I love it. Uh, and then one, one question I like to kind of ask everybody is like, what, what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned like over your, your journey as a coach? What's been the, the biggest thing where you were surprised uh, by, you know, maybe you had read the research and you thought that things would be one way, but what was the one thing that kind of took you back and said, wow, you know, this is, this is not what I expected and I'm going to learn from it and adapt. So interestingly enough, we'll use the, the research piece. So like my grad degree was a lot of research. So it was always like citing your arguments. Um, so I was always like, always wanted to, you know, evidence-based, which, I, you know, whatever. So I started uh, always trying to be like that and always trying to prove my point with some, you know, no matter what, if you're proving your point with science, it's cherry picks because science can prove anything, anything you want. Um, and there's always both sides of the argument that are supported in it. So it was like one of those that I stopped. I'm as pessimistic about scientific research as you will probably have anybody on this podcast. Like 99% of the time I'll read a study and be like, yep, that's bullshit. And like, <laughs> and moving, moving on. Like, you know, and I think for me, I've just learned, you know, to... I mean, I pay attention to the stuff and like there are times where I'm like, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe we can work it in or whatever, but just to like, trust my gut, trust my experience, trust my understanding of the sport, trust the people I've been around. Um, and just stick. It's basically, it's just sticking to the, to the basics. Like, I think that has been like, for me, stick to the basics, learning from other people, observing what's happening in the gym has just worked wonders for me. And like, for me, I tend to lean more towards like research that's very like theoretical and philosophical at the same time. Cause mm -hmm. I think what any coach needs to do to develop the art of coaching is learn how to think better. It's not necessarily learning what's in that paper. Like I was saying this to Alyssa about my podcast. I was like, Alyssa, like I'm sick of talking to people about the same fucking shit. Like I want to talk to somebody who thinks differently. Like I, I, I want to, I want to see somebody who thinks for themselves. Like I, I want to learn from somebody, something that I can't read in some research article somewhere. Like mm -hmm. to me that, that started to be more important. And I think since I started doing that and just focusing more on learning how to think better and how to understand the uncertainty in your thinking how to be okay with the uncertainty, how to tread those waters. Like, I think for me, that has been the biggest change. And I encourage every coach, if you want to develop the art of coaching, and I don't care, you can pick any topic, but just like learn how to think for yourself as opposed to just, well, this study says this, so I'm going to go do this and I'm going to make a meme about it on 
Instagram, and then I'm going to argue in the comments about it. My science is better than your science. Like that stuff, is, it's garbage. Learn how to think. So do you not like my memes? <laughs> depends, on, depends on the meme. Yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, that was huge even for me. Like I remember I read um, one of Ryan Holiday's books on, on Stoicism. It was either Obstacles. I think it was Obstacles Way. And like even in the title, it kind of gives you an idea of what it was about. But like, I remember for me as a coach, it was amazing because they would talk about, um, you know, essentially rolling with the obstacles and rolling with, uh, you know, when things aren't perfect and like trying to like think about all the things that can go wrong rather than just assuming that it goes right. And like that made me a better coach. That was probably the most impactful book that I read as a coach, you know, um, Osman, well, any, any final thoughts? It was, it was awesome having you on. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Stan. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for joining me.